Father, thank you, God, that we can come just as we are. God, we don't have to pretend. We don't have to hide. God, we don't have to uh, look like anything else than who we really are. God, we can just come to you. You know us so intimately already. God, there's no reason for us to pretend. We can just come to you and be open and be honest about how we feel. God, what's going on in our lives. God, we can just rejoice in the fact that, that you love us the way that we are. It, it's hard to wrap our minds around, God, but you do love us that way, exactly the way we are, uh, with, with nothing else added to, with, with nothing else on top. It's just, it's just us, who we are, and even you tell us in your word, it, it's at our deepest, darkest, ugliest times, God, that's when you sacrificed your son for us. And Father, that's hard to wrap my mind around. It's, it's hard for me to even grasp the fact that you would love me in that awful sin, in the midst of that awful sin, God, you love me so much that you sent your one and only son to die for me. God, thank you for that. God, thank you for, God, just loving me just like I am. Or what a great and glorious thing it is. God, I pray right now as we begin to look into your word, God, I believe that you will touch somebody's life through this word, and I believe that somebody's life will be forever changed because of it. God, if their hearts will be open, their ears will be open, their minds will be open to you. God, I believe that you can change somebody's life through the power of your word. And God, that's what I pray for right now. God, thank you so much for this powerful, powerful word that you've given us. May we always take this time so seriously. And God, may we just rejoice in the fact that we, we get to communicate with you through the power of your word right now. God, we love you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Going swimming. All right, so I apologize for not being with you last week. Um, I was uh, in, well, no, I was with you, right? I mean, that was a big picture up on the screen of me. Uh, I, I, I was in Chicago. I couldn't be here in person, but I was with you guys in spirit. I was there on business, had to be in Chicago. Uh, the week prior to that, though, we started a series in Isaiah, and we're just taking these little bits and pieces and different chunks through the book of Isaiah, and we're looking at them, and we're trying to, you know, let God speak to us through this great prophet Isaiah. Um, we, we know Isaiah a lot because he's like the guy that, that had a lot of prophecy around Jesus coming. Like, he was, he was the guy that... that talked a lot about how Jesus was going to be born and, and what his responsibilities were going to be while he was here and even to the point of how he was going to die and the fact that he was going to be sacrificed for all of us. And Isaiah prophesied about that stuff like hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And that's pretty cool. And we need to look at some of the stuff that Isaiah says and we need to recognize just how much it really applies to us now. Uh, if Isaiah could prophesy about Jesus being born 700 years before it ever happened, surely some of the stuff that he says in his words can actually be used for us in our lives right now. And the last time I was here, we talked about Isaiah chapter 6, and we talked about the first five chapters about, of Isaiah, really about how the people have really kind of turned against God in a lot of ways, and they're doing a lot of things they shouldn't be doing, and, and that, that happens in, in, in people's lives, right? So they, they turn away from God, and the Israelites are no different. They've got a knack for doing this all throughout history. They're turning towards God, and they're turning away from God. They turn towards God, and they turn away from God. Well, they're kind of on the verge of really being in some deep, dark places in their lives, but this king that they've got 
His name is uh, King Uzziah. He, he, he's kind of holding things together. Like, I mean, he's the glue that's just kind of keeping them on the brink of just falling apart, right? Well, King Uzziah dies, and everybody starts freaking out. They're like, well, we're all going to pot now. It's, it's, it's over with for us. And there's no telling what's going to happen. And, and Isaiah, he has an encounter with God, which is a, a pretty incredible thing if you think about it. I don't know if any of you have ever been in the presence of God, but I haven't. Uh, I, haven't I haven't laid eyes on him. Uh, I haven't seen him. I haven't seen the, the train of his robe fill the room that I'm in. But, but that's what Isaiah got to experience. He got to see God. He got to be there in his presence of the Lord. He, he was there. And, and it says that there were seraphims flying around beside him. And, and, and Isaiah, he just immediately, when he was in the presence of God, when he was in the presence of his Lord, this is, you know, I use, I use God and Lord and Jesus kind of interchangeably because they're all the one, right? So they're, they're God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're three in one, right? So I, I do that sometimes when I'm talking specifically about this particular passage but, but they're in the presence of the Lord, and, and, and Isaiah is there, and the seraphim comes and takes a coal from the altar and sears his lips. Because Isaiah had just said, man, I am a ruined man. When he saw the glory of God, he saw who, himself for who he was. And it just like, it messed up his mind. He couldn't believe how glorious and holy God was. At the same time, it made him recognize how unholy he was and how, how much there was in his life that separated him from God. And he said, I am a ruined man. I, I, I'm just, I'm awful. I'm filthy. I'm nasty. And the seraphim came down and, and, and took a coal from the altar and seared his lips and, and said, you've been cleansed. And immediately he goes from saying that I, I'm, I'm an awful, terrible, un, unholy, unworthy man to immediately God asks this question as an invitation to Isaiah. He says, who am I going to send out to go and tell the world? Who am I going to go as, send out as a messenger to go out and tell the world about my kingdom? To go out and, and tell the world about the things that they're doing wrong, that, that's not pleasing to God, the things that they need to do to turn back towards God. Who am I going to send? And Isaiah says these, these words that, that are like, I mean, when, when you think about being in the presence of the Lord and, and saying these words to him, he says, send me. What a radical transformation he must have went under to go in from saying how awful, how nasty, how filthy I am to, a, to the seraphim coming down, searing his lips with the coal from the altar to now God says, who am I going to send to be my messenger? And all of a sudden Isaiah goes, send me. I'm the guy. I'm the one that needs to go and tell. I will be that person. That's the transformation that happens because you're in the presence of God and the transformation that can only come from God. Now, it starts to get hard now. Okay, so like it was difficult going through that, but now that he's signed up to be a messenger for God and supposed to go and tell people about God, it becomes really hard. Now, you, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're a messenger of God, right? You're somebody that's supposed to share the good news of the gospel. That's one of the requirements of being a Christian. If you don't do that, then you're not a Christian. If, if you don't tell other people about Jesus, you're not a Christian, by the way, in case you were wondering. If you keep it to yourself, if you internalize it and people can't see the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life and it, doesn't, it isn't the, it's so in your heart that it's the overflow of your mouth, then you're not a Christian. I just want to clear that up in case you're wondering, am I a Christian or not? If the overflow of your heart to your mouth does not show that you're a Christian because of the gospel of Jesus and you proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you're not a Christian. 
Okay, plain and simple. Uh, I wish I could sugarcoat it or tell you some other way that you could say I'm a Christian without it ever overflowing and coming out of my mouth. It's really not. It, it, what the overflow of the mouth is what is in the heart. That's what the Bible says. So if, it's, if Jesus is in your heart, then Jesus will come out your mouth. Okay? So just wanted to clear that up real quick. But it becomes difficult when you're a messenger, right? It's hard, right? Like sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus is hard. One of the reasons it's hard, and one of the reasons it's hard for me, I know personally one of the reasons it's hard for me is because when you tell people, some people believe and some people don't, right? Some people either, they're like, yes, I do believe in what you're saying. And some people are like, no, I don't. And some people, you invite them to church, and they'll hear the message, and it'll be a very, very powerful message, and, and people will come to faith in Jesus Christ, and you know the person sitting beside you that you invited, you know that they don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you want them to come to Jesus too, and you just heard a powerful message, and like, why are they not responding? Why is it not happening in their life? Why is it? Why? 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 Why, why are they not responding to the gospel? Why are they not coming to Jesus? Why is the truth not penetrating their heart? Now, this is where it really gets dicey in Christianity, okay? There are some, there are two ends of the spectrum, okay? There are some people that says the only reason that they're not responding to the gospel is because Jesus hasn't made them respond to the gospel. And then there's this whole other end of the spectrum that says, well, the only reason they haven't responded to the gospel is because they haven't decided to respond to the gospel. And it's somewhere between God's complete sovereignty and control over everything and man's choice to be able to choose Jesus. Really, the, I believe the truth is somewhere right in the middle. And if you ever find somebody that can tell you which one is true, if it's completely God that makes it happen or if it's completely our choice that makes it happen, if you ever find that person, bring them to me because that person is Jesus. That person is Jesus. I had this conversation with a guy who's way over here on, on the, the God chooses and God's the one that decides who can respond to the gospel and not. And, and I said, you know what? If you ever find somebody that, that, that can tell you which is completely true, then that person is God themselves. And to be honest with you, where you fall in that spectrum, wherever you believe that, that, that God completely makes it happen or, or, or man completely has the choice, wherever you fall in that spectrum, I don't really care. I really don't care. There's some people make a big deal out of that. That, 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 that if you're on one end or the other, that, that you're either bad or good. Or I don't care. I really don't. Because where I am in, in my understanding of what God teaches, I believe that there's evidence that God does something in your life and evidence that you do something too. And evidence that it meets somewhere in the middle and all of a sudden your heart responds to the gospel in a way that it never has before. And to be honest with you, I don't know exactly how that happens. I just know that it happens. But I also know that it's frustrating to me the fact that sometimes when, when, when the gospel is presented, they just don't respond. They just don't respond. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard. You got family members. You got people you love, right, that, that have heard the gospel of Jesus. You brought them to a church service, and then they heard about it, and they're like, man, this, this is powerful. Surely this will get them. Surely they'll come to faith in Christ through that message. Surely, surely they'll understand because it was put simply, and they, they can grasp it. Surely it's going to happen. And then they don't. And you're like, man, I did all that work, and it seems like it was for nothing, right? But then there's the opposite 
that happens too sometimes. When, when they, they stroll up and, and, and you're on your way to church and you bring them to church and, you, and you're like, oh, I had no idea. I didn't invite them. They were, just, they, they were there. I said, hey, I'm going to church. You want to go? And they come with you. And it's a Wednesday night and they're, you know, and the preacher preaches something on circumcision and that person comes to faith in Jesus, right? Like, you're like, I don't get it. I don't know how that happened. But for whatever reason... They came to faith in Christ, that the word penetrated their hearts and, and something happened and all of a sudden they were open to the truth of the gospel and, and they came to faith in Christ. Isaiah is in, is in this struggle. God's going to tell him about this struggle and we're going to read that in Isaiah chapter 6. I have to tell you that the Greek version of this is a little clearer so I'm going to read that to you. Uh, I should have said this to Connie since she's going to be putting it up on the screen. But in, in verse 8 it says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a message to this people? Who will go for us? And he said, I, Here I am, send me. So this is Isaiah responding to God. Here I am, send me. I'll be your messenger. I'll be your guy. You use me, God. However you want to use me, you use me. And he said, Yes, go and say to this people... When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For your hearts, for the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their, their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear. And their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. You know what he says to Isaiah? He says, you're going to go and you're going to tell the truth. And you're going to try really hard to be my messenger. But there are going to be some people that are going to be closed off to the truth. Their hearts are going to be hardened. Their eyes are going to be closed. Their ears are going to be stopped up with their fingers. And they're going to be going, na, 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 na. So that they can't hear the truth. You're going to run into that, Isaiah. That's going to That's going to happen. And they're going to do that. And they're not going to turn to me for healing because they're going to be ignoring the truth and their, their hearts are going to be hardened and their eyes are going to be shut and they're just, they're not going to. They're not going to respond, Isaiah. Well, that's not a very pleasing message to hear, is it? Like, you want me to go and be a messenger to a people that are not going to respond? Look, look at what Isaiah says. He says, all right, well, that stinks, Lord. But he says in verse 11, he says, then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? How long do I have to keep doing it if they're not going to respond and they're not, they're not going to do anything in response to the truth? You know, I'm your messenger and they're not going to respond to it. How long do I have to keep doing this? How long, Lord? How long do I have to keep banging my head against a wall? And you ask yourself the same question. I invited them to church 12 times already. They didn't respond the 12 times I asked them. But how long do I have to keep asking? How long do I have to try to get Jesus into the conversation with this person? How long do I have to keep doing that? Well, the good news is God's got a response. The Lord has a response here. And he replied, until their towns are empty... 
Their houses are deserted. The whole country is wasteland until the Lord has sent everyone away and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. How long? It even goes on to say, in a tenth, a remnant survive and they will be invaded again and burned. You know what he's talking about here? You know how long we're supposed to do this? You know how long we're supposed to continue and continue and continue even if people don't respond and don't respond and don't respond? Do you know how long? Only till Jesus returns. Just that long. Either you die or Jesus returns. That's, that's how long. So if you're questioning in your mind, how long am I supposed to keep doing this until it's completely deserted because God has come back and, and, and he has come back and, and made everything right in the world and everything's laid to waste and it's all starting over and all starting fresh and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth until that time happens. Until that time happens. Well, that's, that's a long time. Right? I think that's exactly what, what God was saying to Isaiah right here. I think that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Until it's all over with, Isaiah. Just because you sign up to be a messenger doesn't mean at some point you have to quit. When you sign up and you say yes to Jesus, that means that you sign up and you say yes to Jesus forever. When you say, God, I want to be a follower of Jesus and I want to be a Christian and I will proclaim your good news because you have poured grace and mercy out on me when I didn't deserve it and I'm going to go tell everybody else that that same grace and mercy is available to them. Would you say that? You are signing up to be God's messenger. You are signing up to proclaim the good news of the gospel over and over and over again, even if it falls on deaf ears and blind eyes and hardened hearts. Just until Jesus returns. Just that long. Now, the cool thing about this particular passage is how often it's repeated in the New Testament. I was telling Connie, I was like, I don't know, how am I going to, we, we could be here two and a half hours. I, I don't think they could stand it that long. But I do want to take you to Acts chapter 28 where it really talks about Paul dealing with this same issue. He's in Rome. So where we are in Acts is Jesus has been on the earth. He has earthly ministry. He's gone back up to heaven now to be with his father. He's sent down the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells his followers, and they, they're able to go out and, and do some things to show that they're followers of Jesus. And Paul is going on these missionary journeys, and, and he's even being kicked out of Jerusalem. <laughs> he, he's gotten kicked out, and that's kind of uh, where we find Paul. We're at the very end of Acts, okay? So Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. These are people that went out in the name of Jesus and proclaimed us good news and they did all this good stuff for Christ. And, and we find Paul at the very end of Acts, he's in Rome. He's finally made his way back to Rome because they kicked him out of his hometown. So, so now he's back there and he arrives in Rome and Rome is full of all these, these Greek gods and, and there's a temple of Zeus and stuff and like it's just filled up with all these pagan idols, right? Where people are worshiping stuff that, that ain't of God, okay? They're worshiping other, other gods, and Paul's surrounded by it. And here he finds himself in Rome and Paul's doing what he normally does. He, he, he's, you know what he's going to do? He's a messenger of God, so you know what he's going to do? He's going to continue to be a messenger of God. And you know what he goes back to? He goes back and talks about Isaiah and what Isaiah said as a messenger of God. 
So that's what we find in Acts chapter 28. We'll begin in verse 17. It says, three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders. So he's been there for just a few days. He doesn't wait very long. Paul gets into town. Paul gets to business. He's about to tell people about Jesus. It's only been three days. He calls all the Jewish leaders in because he wants to he wants to kind of let them know why he's there, what he's doing, what he's all about, so he doesn't alienate himself from his Jewish counterparts. He, he wants them to know why he's there. He's going to preach the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles, so the, his own people and everybody else, he's going to, both sets of people, so he brings in the Jewish leaders. These are people that would run the synagogues, the little temples where they would worship and, 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 and all the stuff the Jews would worship. And he says, he's been there three days, and he called together the local Jewish leaders. He said to them, brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem, handed over to the Roman uh, government, even though I had done nothing against the people uh, or, or, or the customs or our ancestors. The Romans tried me and wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar. Even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people, I asked you to come here today so I could get acquainted and so I could explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. All right. Sorry to read so much, but let me tell you what's going on here. So he's called together these Jewish leaders. He says, man, I'm here, and the only reason I'm here is I had to appeal to Caesar because when I was back there, the Jewish leaders kept trying to, to have me persecuted and have me killed. He said, but... The, 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 the Roman governors and the Roman leaders there didn't really see any fault in me. They didn't see any reason for me to be killed. So, so they kept pushing the Jewish leaders, just like Jesus. When Jesus was there, the, the, the government kept pushing the Roman leaders. You need to crucify this guy. You need to get rid of him because he's, he's, he's telling something that's not of God. Well, Paul continues the mission of Jesus continuing to tell him the good news of the gospel and tell him that the Messiah, Jesus, has come, and he's still preaching what Jesus was preaching, and they want him dead. They want him out of there. Well, the, the Roman governors, they can't find anything wrong with him. They, but the Jewish leaders keep pushing. And so he goes to, he goes to Rome. And he says, I've got to appeal to Caesar. I've got to talk to Caesar about it. And, and he just that's where he is right now. He's in Rome, and he's there to defend himself. and say, hey, man, my own people are kicking me out of my hometown. I don't know what to do. So we find him in Rome here. And... He starts telling me, he says, I got to tell you, though, he says, I asked you to come here today so I could get acquainted and so I could explain to you that I am bound with this chain. What chain is he talking about? He's talking about the chain uh, of the burden of, of the gospel that he has to share. He cannot let go of it. He, it it's like a chain that he wears around his neck that he, he has to share this. Even though it's not pleasant or easy or he gets kicked out of town or, or they, they beat him with rods and whips and stuff and, and they, they try to kill him. He says, I've still got this chain around my neck, which is the gospel that I have to share with you. He says, this chain, because I believe that the hope of Israel, talking to the Jewish leaders, your hope, the Messiah, has already come. They replied, we ha had no letters from Judea or reports that you... Uh, from anyone who has come here. But we want to hear what you believe, for the only thing we know about this movement is that it's denounced everywhere. So here they say, they say, we haven't heard that, that 
You were doing something bad back in Jerusalem. Nobody sent any letters. Nobody's come to tell us that you've done anything wrong. But all we know is that this Christianity that you're preaching, this, this Jesus stuff that you're preaching, everybody hates it around here. That's all we know about it. Everybody's against it. Well, this is not exactly a good way to start off a gospel presentation, right? Like, just in case you want to know, everything that you've been saying everywhere else, the only thing that we heard about is that everybody's against it. You know, and, and Paul's like, well, good. This is a good opportunity for me to share the gospel, right? <laughs> Imagine us. Like, all I know about what you believe is that nobody likes it, right? I mean, that's, that's an easy way uh, for you to share the gospel, right? All I know is that, that whatever you believe in that church you go to and the stuff that they say there, nobody likes that stuff. Oh, good. Well, let me tell you about it. You know what I mean? Like, that's a hard place to start from. So a time was set, and, and on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. So he said, y'all come back, y'all get together, get, get your brothers and sisters, y'all come on back, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you about this thing that everybody hates. I'm going to tell you about it. And he, expl he explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. All day long, he's talking to them, showing, look at this stuff that we have now recorded in the Old Testament. Look at what the prophet said. Look at the law of Moses said. You can see the Messiah in this. You can see how Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah. Everything lines up so that Jesus is the guy they were talking about. And he does this all day long, from morning until evening. Some were persuaded by the things that he said, but others did not believe. That's the gospel, isn't it? Some of them believe and some of them don't believe. Some people come to faith in Christ and some don't. And here Paul is probably the greatest preacher, aside from Jesus Christ, in all of mankind and he's talking to these Jewish leaders, showing them evidence in the, New in the Old Testament over and over and over again. And the prophets, he's showing them evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. And some believe and some don't believe. One of the greatest preachers in all of human history, some believe and some don't believe. That is the reality of the Christ that we follow, that is the reality of the kingdom of God, that is the reality of the gospel of Jesus. Some will believe and some will not believe. And after they had argued back and forth amongst themselves, they left this final word from Paul, with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah, listen to what he goes back to, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their eyes cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me or let me heal them. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. And it goes on to say for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense, welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. That's where the book of Acts ends. It's not exactly ending on a cheery note, does it? 
I mean, it just says Paul kept doing what he was doing. We don't know if Paul died. We don't know, we don't know exactly what happened. We just know that he was there, and, and he was in Rome in the next two years, and he kept doing what he was doing. You know why I think it ends that way? You know what I think the rest of the story is? I think it's you, and I think it's me. And I think it's us going and telling, us being the messengers, us recognizing that the same thing that happened with Isaiah and with Paul is the same thing that's going to happen to us, is that there will be times when you will share and you will try and you will pour your heart out and you will take these chains that you're burdened with because you've got a lost friend or a lost loved one or somebody that doesn't know Jesus that you care about very deeply and, and you really want them to come to know Jesus Christ. And, and you'll even ask God, how long do I have to keep trying? And the answer to that is until Jesus comes. Until Jesus comes. And your heart is going to be broken at times. And if you know anything about Paul, I mean, he said that, that I, I would assume be accursed and cut off from God if it meant that my brothers in Israel can be saved. The people that he could identify with, if they could be saved, he would be willing to be cut off from God. That's how, how much he cared about these people that he was talking to and telling them the good news of the kingdom and the fact that the Messiah had come. He, he cared so much that he said, if that means I can be cut off from God so that they would believe, then I'm willing to do that, God. And here, you know what he says, the final words he says? He says, he says you may not believe, but there's going to be some Gentiles that will. They, they, I, I'm going to take... This same message. I just showed you evidence in the Old Testament and the, the prophets and the law of Moses. Evidence of over and over and over again of things that you should know as the religious leaders of Israel. You should know all this stuff and you can't see it and, and you, you don't believe it. He said there are going to be some Gentiles that don't even know all that Old Testament stuff and the law of Moses and the prophets. They don't even know that stuff and they're going to believe and they're going to come to faith in Christ. And they're going to be a part of God's kingdom. You know how shocking that must have been for them to hear? That, that, that somebody, that, that it's not God's chosen people like the Israelites are supposed to be, that they're going to come into God's kingdom? You know who Paul's talking about? You know who he's talking about right there? It's you and it's me. We're the Gentiles he's talking about. We're the Gentiles he's talking about. So why, why am I sharing this message with you? It's because you've got to know what God's Word says. You know why you've got to know what God's Word says? Because you're a messenger. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a messenger. And there are going to be times when you're heartbroken because people are not going to come to faith in Christ no matter how desperately you want them to. But there are times when God is going to blow your mind and surprise you when that son or that daughter... That boyfriend or that girlfriend comes to faith in Jesus Christ because you've poured into them and you've had that chain, that bondage, that burden around you that is because of God and it's for God and it's going to have an impact on them. Sometimes we reap, sometimes we sow and we never know which one we're going to do. But let me tell you, we're required, we're called as messengers of God to continue until he returns. 
Let me pray. Father, thank you, God, for your word and the truth of your word. God, it's amazing to me, Lord, how, how, how your message in the New Testament ties in so perfectly with the message of the Old Testament. And how we see the same evidence in the Old Testament that we see in the, same, in the New Testament. And God, sometimes we ignore the Old Testament. We think that isn't relevant to our lives. It doesn't apply. The Father is so obvious that it does. God, Isaiah had the same burden that Paul had. And it's the same burden that we have. And God, if Paul hadn't had that burden, God, he wouldn't have, have preached that message to the Gentiles. And then we would not have known of this gospel and of your kingdom. So God, I thank you for the chains that Paul had that he wore around his neck that was the burden of going and telling. And I pray that we have the same burden and we wear the same chains. God, for the people that we love, the people that we encounter every day, the people that we work with, God, the people that we go to school with that, that, that don't know you, that don't have a relationship with you. God, I know sometimes we get put down and we get, we get put off because, because we're a Christian and people don't want to hear what we have to say. That God, as your followers, we're called to continue to say it. Until you return, we're called to continue to say it. So God, put a burden on our hearts to continue to proclaim your good news. And God, I pray, God, that you could continue to work in the hearts and lives of people, to soften their hearts and open their ears and open their eyes so they might be able to see the truth of your gospel. They might be able to see the truth of your word. God, and be saved. Come into your kingdom. God, so that they too can be messengers. Father, I don't know what you're going to do with this message. All, all I know is that, God, we're called to proclaim your good news, the good news of the kingdom. God, you use it how you will in the hearts and lives of your people, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all please stand?